One thing that we all enjoy, I think, I've only known one person, and that was a former drummer that we had here, that, uh, that we all enjoy is Christmas music, hearing Christmas music. Now, I'm, I'm not one of these that likes for it to start before Halloween, but uh, uh, the stores seem to be doing that, and we can get mighty tired of, of the stores playing Christmas music, but it is a treat to hear. There's just something about Christmas music that puts a warm fuzzy in your heart, usually. And in this series, we're not talking about that kind of music. We're talking about the original music of Christmas, what we call Christmas carols, songs that help the world uh, understand the story of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at O Holy Night, remember? And today, we're going to look specifically at O Come, All Ye Faithful. Now, I like O Come, All Ye Faithful better because it's in a lower key so that guys can sing it. Uh, the words are repetitious, so it's easier to, to uh, uh, sing, and there aren't so many different things that are happening in the song. It's a song that all of us can sing, so much so that throughout the world, since it was uh, written, uh, uh, published to music in the mid-1700s, it's become one of the most popular Christmas carols throughout the world in every language. You may remember Bing Crosby singing Adeste Fidelis, uh, Leti Triumphantum, uh, you know, uh, Venite Adoramus, Venite Adoramus, Venite Adoramus Dominum. Uh, that's the Latin version of uh, O Come All You Faithful that maybe some of you are familiar with or have sung even. We're not sure who the original author was. Uh, some people say it was a, a saint named St. Bonaventure, and others believe it might have been a Portuguese king because for a long time that song was known as the Portuguese hymn. If you look in a hymnal, you'll still see it listed in some hymnals under the title with a subtitle, the Portuguese hymn. Whoever wrote the lyrics back in the 13th century uh, it, was, it was put to music, as I said, in the 1700s. And since then, it's become a worldwide favorite. I think it was the first... I think it was the first Christmas carol that I learned to play on the piano in the third grade <laughs> when I was taking piano lessons. That, that was uh, right after uh, harpsichords were... Uh, changed over to pianos. Uh, all right, so let's be honest. You and I don't always fit the description of the people we just sang about in Oh Come All You Faithful, do we? We just sang about people who are coming to worship Jesus, the newborn king. I don't know why you've come this morning. I hope it was to worship the newborn king, but I'm not real sure. I mean, look at the first two lines. They're in your handout there. First two lines of O Come All You Faithful. 
It says this, Oh, come ye, oh, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Faithful, joyful, triumphant. They actually speeded up the song a little bit, and it was a little more joyful than how we normally sing a Christmas carol. Uh, the Bible says that the birth of Jesus brings faith, and it brings joy, and it brings victory. But the truth is, we don't always feel that way, do we? Particularly at Christmas time. Christmas time, sometimes we feel faithless, and we feel joyless, and we feel defeated by the rigors of our life. Maybe for you, Christmas doesn't really bring back the best of memories either. It may seem like it's always been a time of stress or conflict in your life. If you've had a loved one that died around Christmas time, it's always a memory that you'll carry with, with that Christmas season. Maybe you come from a broken family where Christmas has always been a time of hectic travel between families, trying to please everyone, and a reminder that everything in your life isn't right. It's not the way it should be. Or maybe you used to feel joy at Christmas. The season used to be very real and active to you, but now you're just kind of going through the motions, just kind of existing through Christmas. It's really no different than any other time of the year for you. And that's why today I want us to discover, or for some of us to rediscover, the faith and the joy and the triumph that we sing about in this carol, O Come All Ye Faithful. So with that in mind, I, uh, I want you to take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You see, when you connect with Jesus Christ, a new life happens. And what we need to understand is that the whole purpose of the birth of Jesus, Jesus' birth, is a culmination of the plan that God has laid out from the very beginning of time, before the beginning of time. He has planned to give you and to give me the opportunity to receive this new life that Jesus has for everyone who believes in him is a great plan. God wants to give us new life, the life of faith, the life of joy, <clears throat> the life of triumph. And here in the middle of the holiday season, that's getting cranked up around us. I think Jesus wants to remind us today of the new beginning, of the fresh start, of the do-over, if you will, that we can have whenever we put faith and trust in him. 
So I want to spend our time looking at how Jesus brings this new life to us. So there in your notes you'll see, Jesus brings new life when I, and the first step is this, when I trust him for my salvation. Jesus brings new life when I trust him for my salvation. If I want new life, it begins with my salvation. That's where it has to begin. Remember, Jesus is really the celebration of a birthday. The birth of Jesus, our Savior, our God, our hope. Jesus became human so that he could be with us now and forever. Jesus was born so that you and I could have new life. Jesus was born so that you could be reborn. Jesus was born so that you and I could be uh, born again, we might say, from John uh, chapter 3. And here's what I mean when I say reborn or born again. We were all born once. We were physically born. But the problem is we were born into a world that's broken and sinful. We were naturally born into a life where we can't help but sin. There's sin all around us. The problem is that that sin is what separates us from God. So from the very time that we're born, we're separated from God. You see, God is perfect. We've talked about that in here many times. God is perfect. He has no sin. He has no fault at all in himself. But when we sin, it separates us from God. Anytime we make a decision that's against God's best plan for our lives, that's what is called sin. We've all sinned because of that. We're all, every one of us, separated from God. And we're separated from the best that he has for our lives. We're born into a sinful and broken world. And because of that, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's good news. There's good news. The birth of Jesus means that we don't have to stay separated from God. Jesus came to take away our sins, to give us new life, to restore the relationship that we were meant to have with God. And Jesus says, you, you can be reborn spiritually, even though you are physically born into this broken and sinful world. That new life that Jesus brings is a free gift. Absolutely free. It costs you absolutely nothing to receive it because ultimately Jesus paid for the entire thing on the cross. But it's like a gift, any gift that we get, a Christmas present, let's say. It's no good unless you receive it. You have to receive it. You have to accept it 
And then you have to open it up and use it. So how do you open this gift and receive this new life? Well, Romans 10, 9 tells us this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? George, what do you mean when you say that Jesus is Lord? Well, if you'll make Jesus the Lord of your life, the one in control of your life, the manager of your life, the CEO of your life, if you'll give him control over your entire life and tell others about it, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing your heart, in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's how simple it is. Some of you are here today, and more than anything right now, you need a new life. You need it. You need forgiveness for something that's happened in the past. You need peace that can only be found in Jesus. You need greater purpose in your life right now. And you need eternal life with Jesus forever in heaven. And so for a moment right now, just like we did last week, I want to talk to those of you who have never trusted Jesus for your salvation. I feel there's somebody here right now You're not sure you've ever taken that step in your life to get right with God. Maybe at some point you just didn't understand the need that was there. You thought it was about being a good person. You thought, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to have a good life, and you know what, I'll be just fine. God will love me for that. And so you've lived your life doing good things, good deeds, good works, or trying to. But you spent your whole life wondering and worrying, wondering if you're a good enough person to make God happy, worrying if you have done enough to please God. I'm not sure, you know. I think I have. Maybe I I need to do a few more things and the scale will be balanced in my favor, you know. You've always had this nagging doubt in the back of your mind. You've had this fear that maybe... Maybe, just maybe, there's something that you're missing. I've left you some space there in your handout. And I want you to write down, in all caps, the word DO. D-O. Big capital letters. DO. Maybe you've always thought that getting right with God was about being a good person, and it's about what you 
do. But I want you to see today that your salvation is not about what you do. Because you can never do enough. Never. Some of you right now are exhausted. You're exhausted trying to do enough to be sure that your salvation is safe and secure. You've worked at it all your life, and you're still not sure. You're burnt out trying to do it all. You're trying to prove yourself to God and prove yourself to others and even prove yourself to yourself. And the good news is that salvation isn't about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. So I want you to mark through that D-O, put a slash right through it there, and in all caps right beside it, I want you to write done. D-O-N-E. Done. Because everything that has to happen for your salvation has already been done by Jesus on the cross. It's done. It's finished, the Bible says. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Right? It's not about what you do. Say it with me. It's about what Jesus has done. Don't you see it's possible to do a lot of good things, a life full of good things, and still miss the entire purpose of your life? It's possible to be a good person, a great person, kind, caring, helping, and still miss out on heaven. Because, listen, you don't, you can't earn your way into a relationship with God. It's a free gift that Jesus has given to you. You just have to receive it. You just have to accept it. Maybe you've been looking for that purpose and that joy and that victory that we just sang about in O Come, All Ye Faithful. You've been looking for that through your successes. You've been looking for that in your jobs You've been looking for that in a relationship. Or you've been looking for that in money. Or any other of many different ways. But for some reason, you just keep coming up empty. It just doesn't feel right. That's because there's nothing in this world that can fulfill that deep spiritual emptiness that we all have within us. No person can do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. On that first Christmas, God stepped out of heaven and he came to earth to offer you the first and the most important Christmas present that you can ever get. His son, Jesus Christ. And through him, we get faith. And we get joy. 
and we get triumphal victory in eternal life. And if you're here today and you've never received that gift, you've never trusted in Jesus completely, you've never trusted Him as the leader of your life, let me encourage you, don't put that off any longer. Make the decision today to accept that free gift of salvation. That gift that Jesus came to offer to you and me. Acts 4.12 says this, there is, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What's the name he's talking about? Jesus, Jesus. I think it's... I think that's one of the things that is so simple, yet so hard for people to understand. Maybe it's because it's too simple. They think it. there's got to be more to, than that, you know? There's got to be more than that. So in your heart and in your mind... Pray this simple prayer that I'm about to pray here. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came into this broken world that first Christmas to give us hope and love and joy and peace. I believe that you died on the cross, and that God the Father raised you from the dead. Jesus, today forgive me of my sins, past, present, and future. I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I pray. think it's absolutely awesome that there might be even one person in this room that just stepped from an eternity separated from God into an eternity where they're going to spend forever with God, their creator in heaven. I mean, to me, that's absolutely amazing that a simple prayer like that can do it. So Jesus brings new life, first of all, when I trust Him with my salvation. And secondly, Jesus brings new life when I talk with Him about my problems. When I talk with Him about my problems. When you have problems and fears and worries and anxieties, when things aren't going right in your life, who's the first person you talk to? Who's the first person you go to? Who's the first person you look to? We just talked about salvation. So we become a follower of Jesus. We begin on this high note of receiving God's salvation. And we think that this new life, this new faith, this new joy and victory that we get from Him, that because of that... We think now everything is going to be easy. 
Everything's going to go my way now. God's going to remove all the problems that I've been worrying about, all the things that I struggled with before, all the fears and all the sins, all of that is going to be gone. What we find out is our daily life still has problems, many problems. We still struggle with sin. And in so many ways, our life feels exactly the same as it did before. And so we begin to ask ourselves, well, where is the victory? Where is that joy? Where is the peace that we sang about in O Come All Ye Faithful? And maybe you're here today and you recently gave your life to Jesus Christ and then you were surprised to discover that you still have problems. There's still problems in your life. I thought all those were going to go away. That it doesn't feel like your life has gotten any better at all. And you're wondering if trusting in Jesus can really make any difference at all. Well, don't let the weariness and the burdens and the doubts take over and rob your life of joy. Don't let it happen. Because here's the truth. Following Jesus isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not. And it's not a one-stop shop for every problem that you're facing. A lot of times, you don't want to hear this, a lot of times our lives become harder when we've become followers of Jesus. And I think there's two reasons maybe for that. One is most of the time the path that Jesus asks us to walk down isn't walked on by very many other people. We feel alone. It's more difficult. And the second thing is when you begin obeying Jesus and, and God begins to use you, you know what? Satan shows up in your life. And he begins to throw all sorts of obstacles at you and, and, and whisper in your ear, that didn't really make any difference, did it? You might as well go back to your old way of life. But here's the good news. When you receive new life in Christ, you're no longer alone with your problems. You now have an advocate, a helper. You now have an all-powerful Holy Spirit who's working for you and who cares deeply about whatever is going on in your life. A counselor who isn't, who, whose desire it is that, that you bring your burdens and your struggles to him and let him take care of them. 1 Peter 5, 7. I love this verse. It says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Did it say some of your worries and cares? No. It said all of your worries and cares to God. He cares about every one of them. That's why I said in the prayer, sometimes it's 
the big things, and sometimes it's the almost insignificant things. If you're concerned about them, he's concerned about them also. He wants the best for you. Sometimes we have this image that God is far off out there somewhere. He's a distant God. He doesn't really care about what's going on in my life down here. He's way up in heaven and he's not not paying any attention to me. But that's not true. God is a personal God who loves you more than anything else in the world. That that he chose to step into our world at Christmas. He became uh, that babe in a manger on earth to live among us, to show us how we should live, and then to die on the cross so that we could have eternal life, so that we could experience this new life that we're talking about. The same God who did that for you wants you to bring your worries, your fears, your cares to Him. He wants you to bring them. No matter how big, no matter how small, He cares for you. And one of the reasons that Jesus came into our world at Christmas is to say, I understand not only those big things, but I understand the little concerns in your life. Those things that you're struggling with because I've lived it. I know what it's like. And because of that, we can worry less and we can trust God more. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Don't worry about anything. Wow. Wow. How many of you have read that and thought, well, that's easier said than done. Don't worry about anything. The question is, how can I do that? How do I stop worrying? How do I give my worries to God? How do I stop worrying about how I'm going to pay my bills this month? How do I stop worrying about my kids? How do I stop worrying about being alone? How do I stop worrying about my health? How do I stop worrying about my job? How do I stop worrying about my whatever? All of this. It's easy to say, hey, don't worry about it. That just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Don't worry about it. But it's really difficult when you feel that you're overwhelmed and your entire life is crumbling. And this verse says, don't worry about anything. And how do you do that? Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. You hear that? Have you been praying about everything? In other words, talk to God about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. 
What a great verse that is from uh, Philippians. Pray about everything. Talk to God honestly about everything in your life that you're going through. The good, the bad, the big, the small. Because when you talk to God, you know what? He will strengthen you. He'll give you wisdom and courage. He'll give you a peace that passes all understanding as you go through those storms in your life. I'm sure you've seen people that they're in the midst of something happening and they just seem to be full of joy and you think, are they crazy? Maybe not. Maybe they're in touch with God. Maybe they're talking to Him every moment of their life. And in that talking, in that conversation, in that close relationship, they're joyful because they know He's got it. He's done it. I can't do a thing. But you're thinking, well, George, what about those times when I ask and I ask and I ask and I ask and I don't get what I ask for? Or I pray and I pray and I pray and I don't hear back from God. My problems don't go away. I pray and there's, there's only silence. Crickets. And I'm beginning to doubt God. God, where are you in all of this? Well, listen, during those times when God is silent, during those dry times, we might call them, that we're tempted to give up, that we're tempted to let go of the victory and the, and the faith and the joy that come with the new life that we, we receive from Jesus. During those times, what do I do then? Well, 1 Peter 4.19 has this solution. Keep on doing what is right. And experiencing God, we, we, we talk about in that study, we talk about keep on doing the last thing that you know God told you to do. Don't change. He'll talk to you. But he intends for you to keep doing that until he changes your direction. So keep on doing what is right. Entrust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Do you believe that? Oh, you are so enthusiastic. Yes, I believe that. Do you believe that? That's much better. Gosh. Sometimes the problem doesn't go away. Sometimes the answer doesn't come in the time frame that you want it. But even in the midst of those times, I want you to remember that God hasn't left you. He's still right there beside you. He's working all the time for your good. And if you're suffering right now, if you're facing problems that overwhelm you, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Because that's the temptation that we have. Your prayers aren't getting answered. 
So you just quit. You just give up. But don't give up hope. Keep leaning into Jesus. Keep talking to him. Keep doing what is right. And trust that the God who created you is in control. And he's never going to fail you. That he's going to work out your problem for your very best and for his glory. That's really what it's all about. Jesus brings me new life when I trust him for my salvation and when I talk with him about my problems. And number three, Jesus brings new life when I turn my future over to him. When I turn my future over to him. Not only do I turn my present problems over to him, but I also turn tomorrow over to him, my future. Trust Jesus with your tomorrow, whatever it might bring. For most of us, the the most appealing part of a relationship with Jesus and trusting in him is that God forgives me of all of my sins, all of my past mistakes. And he puts me on this new path, this new life. And sometimes we come to Jesus and we're weighted down with burdens and shame and inadequacy and failure and fear and sin. We're just burdened. And so we give that to Jesus and he takes that burden from us and you know what we feel fresh we feel lighter like our feet aren't even touching the ground we feel free but even though we're eager to let go of our past we often want to keep the future for ourselves Hmm. God you take my yesterday but I'm going to keep my tomorrow. I want to handle it. Even though you may have turned your past over to God, maybe you've trusted Him with your your distant eternity in heaven, but your future, your tomorrow, that's still mine. I'm not turning that over to anybody. I'm going to decide that. And I would say to you that it's natural to want control. You want to make the decisions. You want to make the plans. But when you trust Jesus with your future, when you turn it over to him, your life is no longer your own. It belongs to him now. Your future is his. Your family is his. Your success is his. And once you become a follower of Jesus, he doesn't just want 50% of your life. He doesn't want just 75% of your life. He doesn't want just 99.9% of your life. He wants it all. He wants you to trust him with 100% of your life. And here's why. Because God loves you. And he wants to use you 
in a powerful way, a way that you can't even begin to imagine. His plan is for your best future. So he wants 100% of your life so that he can bless 100% of your life. Until you decide that you're going to give God 100% of your life and turn that over to him, that means, that means every area. That means every decision, every fear, every worry, every shortcoming. Until you do that, you know what? He'll wait. He'll wait. Why? Because God literally has all the time in the world. He can wait forever. But he's going to wait on you to make the decision before he blesses you with all he has for you. Now I'm talking to some specific ones of you today because God's sitting there. <laughs> He's wanting to bless your life in a big way. He's got this opportunity He wants to give you. He's got this door He wants to open for you. He wants to bless you, but He can't because you're holding on to an area of your life that you will not trust Him. You're saying, God, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be, deal with my past, but you can't have my tomorrow. You can't have my plans. You can't have those relationships of mine. You can't have my job. You can't have my addictions. You can't have that special sin that I want to keep. I'm going to keep control of all of those. You can trust him because, listen, God has an amazing plan for your life, far better than the one that you're trying to plot out. His plans for your life are so big, you can't even begin to imagine because they have eternal consequences. Seems like each week we've talked about this for the past three or four weeks. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. That's God talking. That's not Jeremiah talking. That's God talking. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now notice what God doesn't say here. God doesn't say, Hey, George, I saw the plans that you came up with. They look pretty good. Go right ahead. 
He doesn't say that. What else doesn't God say? God doesn't say, hey, George, here are the plans that I came up with for your life. What do you think? What do you think? Do you want to make any edits to it? You have an eraser? You can change it up. That's okay. I'll be happy with that. God doesn't say that either. He says instead, I'm your creator. I know the plans I have for you because I created you specifically for those plans. You can keep trying to do your own thing, but you're going to end up miserable. You're going to end up empty. You're going to end up frustrated. You're going to end up disappointed because you weren't created for those plans. I know the plans I have for you because I created you for them. And you you can keep on fighting me. You can keep living this empty life that you live. Or you can trust me. You can trust me with your job and with your relationships. Trust me because I love you. And I know what's best for you. You say, well, God, you don't understand. I just lost my my job. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. Well, God, the love of my life just dumped me. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. God, we've been trying for years and years. We just can't get pregnant. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. God, I'm so depressed. I feel like just giving up, maybe even giving up on life. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. God, I'm so afraid. I don't, I don't know what my future holds. And God says, I do. <laughs> I know the plans I have for you. Some of you are missing out on great things that God wants to give you. You can't trust him with your future. You refuse to let him be the Lord of your life. Sure, you can trust him with some things. You show up at church every now and then. Every once in a while, you drop some money into the offering basket. You're basically a good person. You go up to shepherd's table and serve the homeless. You'll do all those things, but hear me. You're never going to experience the real life God has for you until you're willing to let him be your Lord and give him 100% of your life. You know, we're saying that carol oh come all ye faithful earlier and one of the lines that carol says is 
Come and behold him, born the king of angels. That's opposite from how we usually portray the nativity, I believe. Jesus' birth is just sweet and very safe and warm. They're in this little stable. There's Mary and Joseph. And there's sweet little baby Jesus, cozy, comfortable, safe, cooing. The cattle were lowing. He was cooing. But realize, when Jesus was born, even if he was lying in a manger as a newborn baby, he was already the king of angels. He was. He was the king of kings and lord of lords. He was the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That little baby was the author and perfecter of our faith. He was the one who spoke everything into existence. He's the bread of life. He is our salvation. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And we adore him because he's our Lord, not because he's a sweet little baby but because he is Christ the Lord, the Savior of the world, the giver of all life. And when you accept Jesus for who he really is, not just as a little baby born in a barn 2,000 years ago, way over yonder, but if you will accept him as your Savior, as your Lord, when you put your trust in him, that's when your old life ends and your new life begins. Romans 6, 4 says it this way. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Jesus came on, Christian, on Christmas so that you could have new life. Jesus came on Christmas so that you could have joy. Jesus came on Christmas so that you could have faith. Jesus came on Christmas so that you could have victory, triumphal victory. How about bowing your heads with me? God, you are my Lord Jesus, and I'm going to give you control. And there's so many things that he wants to show you, so many things that he wants to give you. But he can if you want to allow him to be your Lord today, just, just now. Let him become the Lord of your life. Father, thank you for stepping out of heaven and coming to earth. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of this new life. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.